clubhouse. Club Soda. But you go on and make sure. Make sure I'm breaking the law by drinking the poison. You're free to sell to anyone who isn't Indian. Like all the other freedoms they have that we don't. Free to open a business on their land. Free to choose their doctors, their banks. Free to live as free men. But you keep enforcing the slave rules, Thomas. I'm going to teach you the master rules. And that lesson will not be pleasant. Is that what you're doing, Angela? You're teaching me? No, Tom. I'm removing you. Welcome to the Pod Clubhouse coverage of Yellowstone Season 5. This is Episode 3 that we're discussing today. It's titled, A Tall Drink of Water. Welcome, Sheila. Hey, girl. Hey, welcome back. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Give me your thoughts on this episode. What'd you think? I thought it was really good. I think that people might think it's slow. I get that. But I think when you dig into what happened, it's still important. Um, Of course, the ending added you know, some excitement and mayhem. So that's always a good thing. Uh, but I liked it. I thought it, I thought we accomplished some good things. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. Anytime I get to watch my Yellowstone episode, I've been waiting on this one. Yeah, I yeah we waited a long time for the screeners for this one. We're, we're recording this the day before the episode comes out. We're like, like every day for? this week, I'm like, where's the where's the show? Where's the yeah. show? Yeah, so we're I you know anytime that we get to, to to see it and talk about it and digest it because there's so much that goes on in the show and sometimes like I remember back when we did the rewind. Remember we went so we started mm-hmm. recording this with season three, three, and then yeah. we went back. And we covered season one, season two, and it was just so good to go back and see some of like the groundwork that got laid in season one, season two that sort of played out in the later seasons. And I feel like this is one of those episodes that is like laying the foundation for like where the season's going to pivot towards. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it's like important information, but not necessarily super dramatic. Right. We didn't have any Mm -hmm. like, you know, rivers getting rerouted or anything like that. Um, You know, none of those type of explosive things. But I think that there was also a lot in here that answers some of the questions that you and I had, maybe that's the season premiere of episode one and episode two didn't address for us. Right, and I'm yeah. talking more specifically about Beth and her corporate yes. espionage problems. So I like this episode too. You know, we had some bunkhouse boy shenanigans and anytime we get that, you know, yeah. it's always a good thing. But yeah, the, like I can see what you're saying that some people might be like, oh, this one was a slow episode. Yeah. But I think it did a lot to explain where things are at, where episodes one and two were kind of catching us up to like what we missed in the last eight months or so. It's Uh, funny because the series premiere, there was a lot of mixed comments. I saw a lot of people saying that was super boring and a lot of people saying that was amazing. So I think it's kind of also your interest level in it. Like there's a lot of TV shows that I watch just for the sake of having background noise on or something 
you know, filtering through my ears. But if you pay attention to this show and you um, are someone who watches the details of a TV show, this is a really dramatic and interesting series. So I think that's why people love Yellowstone. And I think the other half who, you know, watch it just for entertainment, they also love it because it is entertaining and because there's explosions and bulls and bars and rivers being rerouted and things like that. So you know, I think it kind of covers all the bases. But if you are into this show for the details of it all and how it all ties together, it's a lot. And it's really, really interesting if yes. you've paid close attention for five seasons. So, yeah, like the complex dynamics and things like that is really what this show is about. It's not just about the one side of, of the, the action adventure, the Western part of it. It's also right. this complex family dynamic and also this complex business dynamic. Mm-hmm. And you and I have said this the last couple of episodes now. We're just like, oh, my God, what is all that stuff about with EPA rezoning and conservation easements <laughs> and things like that? We're like, oh, dear God, like we need like a land trust lawyer yeah, right. <laughs> to, to kind of guide us. But I mean, it's just to show, too, like how complex the show is and how smart it's written. Finding shows out there with this level of complexity. Yeah. yeah. Complexity. That's a good word. But it's also stuff that we're not, there's no cliche here. You know, there's there's no like the 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 Western trope. You know, it's not, it's not the cowboys and Indians of you know yesteryear. It's mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's so much more complex than that. And they are being sensitive to the Native American struggles, and we see that with Angela Blue Thunder and sort of the things that she outlined. Because I was like, oh dear God, mm-hmm. some of the things she was saying were you know truly horrific, and you forget that some of that stuff is very up until recent memory and even into some practice today. Right. So I just appreciate the show on so many levels. So like I, I'm kind of gearing up. I'm kind of like protecting this episode from the people like, nah, this one was boring. Because <laughs> yeah, you're, right. you're like, listen, guys, it's, it is good. I it promise. Good. Trust Pay me, attention. There's, there's a lot here. And yeah. again, this is now episode three of 14 this season. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid. So we're we're just saying just be patient. We don't know what's yes. coming either, but yeah. we're just saying we know that you know Taylor and, and company are gonna deliver for us. I want to first talk about Casey and Monica and where we see them only four days after their son passed away. Yeah, I was actually really surprised that this was the timeline. I I don't know why I thought more time had A lot has happened in these four days. Yes. Again, we said it's very trying to be a Dutton because, (laughs) you know, so much happens in these short periods of time. So, but four days was just, it was a little jaw dropping. Especially like going back to my notes and seeing like, you know, listening to what we did for episodes one and two, like so much happened. But I think Monica and Casey is a good place to start. Let me ask you, what do you think the significance is of Casey asking Rainwater for a job? Is this part of his path and is that path rejecting John? Sorry, that's a loaded question. There's like three questions in there. Let <laughs> well, me, that's let, a lot. <laughs> is his path and his reckoning of which, you know, fork in the road to take, is, is this path rejecting John? I didn't feel like a rejection. And that's what I, I liked about that conversation with John is that he was pretty accepting of it. And kind of like, okay, you know, I get it. And that's kind of how it should be like in general, when you get married and start a family, like you don't need to reject your previous family, your parents and your siblings, but you need to choose your family that you created, you know, and still honoring and respecting and and participating in your family. But there's something to that, you know, of trying to separate the two a little bit. I think that Casey is making the right choice. And I think that John understands. It felt like he did. 
I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. Only because I'm I'm just wondering the significance of Casey then asking Rainwater for a job before his father. So I, I guess this is where I'm kind of like pondering, like, what is the meaning of his vision and what is it? You know, what is that choice? What is that path? Mm-hmm. Is staying on the path with the Duttons, the, is that the end of them? I think Casey might be pulling away from John yeah. a little bit with yeah. like handing back the, li- the livestock commissioner badge and asking Rainwater for a job. I was just like, your father's the governor. Like he could give you any number of other jobs in the state if that's what you wanted. To me, that felt like Casey trying to also honor Monica's family and her culture and her life, you know, like he's trying to be a part of her and Tate, you know, he kind of asked for a job on the reservation, really. But that's what I see is like the rejection of John. I felt like he was just trying to become a part of her world versus like, okay, well, I'll just get a different job. The only reason I'm kind of like, you know, kind of being devil's advocate here is because, you know, going back to like season one, when we first met Casey, he was a very unsuccessful horse trainer, Mm -hmm. right, on the reservation. He was trying to make a living on the reservation and he was just deeply unhappy. And now he's deeply unhappy again. And I'm just wondering what this is setting us up for, because he's he's almost like a man with no home. Like he doesn't really belong anywhere now. Like he doesn't feel like he belongs with John because that's dishonoring Monica and her traditional way of life that she's, you know, trying to raise Tate in. But at the same time, it's also a world that he doesn't necessarily belong in. And can't really participate in fully. Right. And it was just, it was interesting that this distinction that Rainwater made when he was talking to Casey too, saying that he wouldn't be tribal police. He would be policing them, not their police. Like it was a very subtle distinction. I just kept sitting there. I was just like, but now you're just saying he doesn't belong here either. I mean, leave it to Mo to come up with the best solution in between (laughs) saying, you know, hey, your father could appoint you the state investigator. But Casey doesn't explore that with John. Not yet. Yeah. I don't know. This is just going to be a very interesting path to kind of follow because I'm feeling that Casey is lost again. He was really good at this livestock commissioner thing. Like we said this before in, I believe it was last season, that he's really coming into his own. Like this this looks like where he belongs. Like it's using all of the skills he's got. But the sideshow misfortune that he's, he associates with it of, you know, the, the danger to his family every time that he does a job for them. It's just going to be interesting to see where this this ends up because like we're not getting the clear picture of what his vision is. But like I'm trying to like, you know, in my mind, piece together what this vision looks like and And if staying with the Duttons means the end of us, then what is the other option? Because if staying on the reservation isn't going to be good for Casey, you know, nobody can survive if, you know, the other partner is this that miserable. Yeah. So like if it's Monica is going to be miserable living with the Duttons or Casey is going to be miserable living on the reservation, like that's not a recipe for success. I felt like Casey and Monica have come a long way in terms of your family and my family. Like the fact that Monica wants to bury the baby on their family land. I feel like she's tried too. You know, she lived at the main house. She right. lived on the ranch for a while. Like, I think she's willing to marry their families a little bit. So hopefully that's something they can maneuver. But I don't see either one of them as behaving in a way that has to be one or the other. But I see your point. You know, he doesn't necessarily belong there. So maybe they can find a happy medium. Yeah, somewhere in the middle, I suppose. Yeah, meet in the middle somewhere. But I think this is a good spot for them, like living in a rented house that's like elsewhere. It seemed to be like a good place for them, you know, so. Yeah, I don't necessarily get the feeling that their rented house is on the reservation. I don't know. I, I just yeah, I didn't get... quite feel like that. Right. right. I, I felt like it was apart from mm-hmm. any sort of like, um, you know, official community, I suppose. Yeah. 
I thought the conversation with Rainwater and Mo about the baby's like burial and his journey to his final resting place, I thought that was really interesting and that there's like a specific way it needs to be done. And I just enjoyed it. I also, so this week I went to my son's field trip to the Museum of Natural Science and there was a huge Native American exhibit and it was so interesting. And I was uh, trying to just dive in, you know, my son's 11. He was like, mom, come on, let's go. I'm like, but I want to read all this. <laughs> so it would have been super interesting to just to hear about the actual ceremony and how that works just for, you know, educational purposes. But <laughs> it was interesting to watch that conversation. But I got a little freaked out when Monica was in the kitchen yes. and she picked up the knife and I go, don't do it. I yes. said that out loud. What did you think? <laughs> I don't know. The only thing that I did I see like, no, in an earlier trailer that gave me like a minute to be like, okay, breathe was there's I a, know, she had short, she had hair, short hair. hair. Yeah. So, I, but I was but, like, oh my God, but don't do it. That doesn't mean that she could not have, you know, done something other to herself, you know, some sort of other harm just to numb the pain by creating different yeah. pain. Right. Uh, it just, I, did. I didn't I like freaked out. I, was I did like, get no, freaked Monica, out. Don't do it. Yeah. But, you know, the lopping off of your hair is a very symbolic. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I reminded of a movie that came out in 1995. Oh, God. Legends of the Fall. <laughs> it's just another Montana, you know, movie. You know the year, but you're like, wait, what's it called? Yeah, I know. I'm like, Julia Ormond is in it and Brad Pitt and Aiden Quinn and Anthony Hopkins. I'm like, I can list off everybody. But at one point, Julia Ormond's character, she's got very long hair and she's, you know, she's in this sort of like love triangle and she lops off her hair before she commits suicide. You know, like there yeah. is a very, you know, important attachment to women and their hair. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, so her doing that to me was like symbolic of her, like letting go of some of this pain. I thought it was like cutting off a part of herself, like which I imagine I'm sure it feels like when you lose a child. Yeah, this entire storyline, it makes me very uncomfortable because it it just it it hits a little too close to the feelings of, you know, parents. I'm not going to say just mothers, but parents like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about because it's almost like I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to tempt fate, you know. But at the same time, you know, there is this very visceral reaction to to this type of storyline and I think they're doing a really good job of documenting her pain and showing us this. I mean, four days. Like when they said four days, I was like, oh, because like Monica's wounds, like she looks worse in this episode than she did in the last episode. And that would be consistent with a major accident like that happening. And then like as the swelling moves around, you do look worse. You almost look worse before you look better. But, you know, to see her like lopping off her hair, like that was a very upsetting scene to see. There's, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, I see comments and, you know, TikTok videos or whatever about women and their hair. It's a big deal. And there's like some sort of, um, not necessarily a meme, but basically a saying that if a woman is like dealing with something or about to do something or something big changes, it changes in their hair. So like, have you ever noticed that? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I even heard the term or the comment about like new 
new mom haircut. It's like you have a baby, blah, blah, blah. You chop off all your hair or whatever. Yeah. And then it's same with like a wedding. Like a lot of people that I knew, like you'd grow out your hair for your wedding because you want to have it fixed and right. updo and all this or stuff. Extensions. Well, as soon as that's done, you just cut it all off because you're tired of having it so long. So right. it's a it's like a symbolizing a change to me as well. Mm-hmm. If a woman's about to like experience a big change, it usually affects their hair somehow, I think. Maybe not. That's not a blanket statement for everyone, but I think it does ring true. So I could see how, you know, losing a child, that's a huge thing. Like, and changing your hair is also a huge thing. So maybe that's just like the only thing she could do to deal with that emotion. I'm glad she didn't use the knife on herself, you know, on her her body. But I can't imagine how hard this storyline is for parents who've actually lost a child. You know, I have no experience with that thankfully but i just this would be really even much harder to watch if that were my life story i just keep coming back to the the point that we made in the first episode is why make her suffer exactly i was about to say that i'm not seeing where the payoff is for this i mean yes it just shows us you know how great the writing is and how great the acting is but at the same time like do we need maybe the payoff for the storyline is getting casey to make the choice and like he's saying he has to choose one or the other so maybe that's the only point of this storyline but still i actually like that as the resolution for this so it better be something like that if if, if there's Mm -hmm. no point to her suffering then i'm going to be really upset right but your point makes a lot of sense to me. Like if this, this is a great moment for her and their family, this is the moment where you have to pivot. Yeah. Making a, a big change. Yeah, because you you've had to. this huge life event happen that you have a couple of different ways to recover from it. Do you stay on the yeah. same path or do you make a change? I think like this is a, the good point to have a fork in the road to make a big change. So I like that assessment That's that you the made. the only point of it, but man. Right. Yeah, but I <laughs> yeah. mean like th- what it's taken to get to this point is is gut-wrenching. Yeah, exactly. But we shall have to stay tuned to see. I, I did I, I did appreciate Rainwater basically saying, what did I say? I said one in one of the prior episodes uh, this season that he's got like a particular set of skills like Liam Neeson and Taken. Yeah, uh, Rainwater yeah. kind of alluded to that with Casey. Oh, yeah. We can't. We, <laughs> we something have, about we can't use any of your skills on. On, on the reservation. Yeah. yeah. And that's when he went that's into funny. that you know, description about the um, like he can't be tribal police, essentially. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Speaking of rainwater, he goes back to the reservation, well, to the casino, and there is a mess going on. Who is that guy? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't catch a name. Yeah, no from, name. No name. It but... seems like rainwater has seen this guy before. Like, it's not a new person campaigning against him. It felt like he was like, oh, he's at it again. Right, he's sort of the sentiment that I got. Yeah, I don't know who he is, but then when they go into the casino and Angela's at the bar... Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, she set this up, mm-hmm. which I thought was sinister and would then explain the, like this scene, like why she's been in the episodes this season leading up to this point. She's basically making this play. Now, let me ask you. So she says that she wants to remove rainwater. Is she the one that seeks to replace him? It didn't seem like it. No. Okay. I wasn't sure. I felt sure. like she just wanted to orchestrate him being removed. Because I just haven't seen much in the way of other tribal leadership like we had seen in earlier seasons. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of instances, and I'm not sure what season it is now. Definitely season one when he was first appointed chairman. There was some pushback against some of his decisions, and there were other tribal leaders in the meeting room with him. 
Um, but right. I haven't seen any of that now in a couple of seasons, I feel like. So I don't really know who would be like waiting in the wings to replace him. Don't know, right. you know, how that whole process works. But in terms of Angela seeking to remove him, I was just like, maybe she wants it because she obviously has an agenda. That's why I was thinking that she might be her wanting because she has an agenda and she seems to, you know, have a high critique of Rainwater's decisions and abilities. Yeah. I like how Rainwater is so collected and calm when these things arise and when he runs into Angela Blue Thunder. It's like maybe you see a little glimpse in his eye of like, oh shit. But he keeps his calm. He's not reactionary and he just seems very like stoic and mature. I don't know. I just like how he isn't rattled necessarily by you know these things coming against him so I, I don't know I just always like the look on his face when he like sees a problem and he's just very like oh I agree I think he is playing the politician role when he sees her that he yeah does not voice his displeasure on his face we do see a little bit of it in his body language there is like a kind of like a head tilt like a cluck yeah. of the tongue there I mean he's he's giving away some clues that he's not you know this is not his favorite person but he is doing a good job of remaining calm and I like how he plays that like it like as an actor you know he does a good job with the body language too and the and the facial expressions right like he's not letting you know giving up his um his displeasure to her and yeah. I think that she wants to see that. I think she wants to see that she gets under his skin. Yeah, I think and so. the fact that he's not giving her that is his way of satisfying this terrible relationship that they have. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. I mean, like, yeah. it's, it's just like she wants to get a rise out of him. Yeah, she does. And, you know, the fact that he's not giving her that is yeah, he's just, just like not going to give her this. It's frustrating for her, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure, because, you know, now she's told him, like, I'm out for your job and mm -hmm. he still doesn't give her much. Yeah, he doesn't say much. And it just makes me wonder what his next steps are going to be, because he's obviously contending with now this obvious threat to his power and yeah. his seat. But he's also frustrated with John. Like there was this conversation with him and Mo in the car. They're leading up to this protest. And he says that he's been snubbed by the governor. Yeah. You know, he reached out for a meeting and there's been no call back. That's, that's an eyebrow raiser. Yeah. Right? He did say that. Yeah. You know, if you're the governor of the state, and we've talked about John as governor and our doubts <laughs> about his efficacy as the governor and, and his longevity, we've hypothesized about too. Right. Granted, it's only been four days now that we've been given this timeline. But yeah, like at some point, like the governor's office should call back and be like, hey, yes, let's get you on the schedule, even if it's only four days. Like you, you still have to make a priority of meeting with your all your constituents. Right. And, and right. you know, the Broken Rock Reservation would be a large part of the state that and the interests, even though the governments are slightly different, you'd still want to have that dialogue. Right. And I'm just like, what does that mean? Maybe he's just busy, you know? Mo kind of hit it on the head when he said that, um, you know, he basically achieved his four-year agenda when he killed the uh, the airport project. Yeah. He doesn't care about anything else. He's like, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see where this goes. But I, I'm, like that was one of the questions that I even asked Gil Birmingham, you know, where is John and um, Rainwater's relationship now? And, you know, he was... He was kind of nebulous about it because I'm sure he can't give away anything, but they respect each other. But if that's the case, then don't disrespect your frenemy, your ally at times, your enemy at times. I feel like John's one of these people that wants to keep his enemies close kind of thing. 
Yeah, so he should take the meeting just to see what he has to say. So he's right. like, you know. And now with this power dynamic shift, like what does that mean for John and Rainwater now? And just to get a lay of the land. Like I said last time, I, I'm ready to see more action or things from the reservation, from Angela, from Rainwater. Like I just want to see more. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Hopefully um, we get some developments there that Rainwater is going to have to start dealing with her. Right, and defending her, his position. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how that turns out. I like any time that, that I get to see Mr. Rainwater, Chairman Rainwater. You know, we were even commenting in prior episodes that it just seems like he's very um, muted so far. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a lot from him. So I feel like this is a way to ratchet that up a bit, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Someone coming after like your, you your, your job and your livelihood would be a very good way to get yourself more involved. Exactly. <laughs> ratchet. So I guess moving on from Rainwater, the we, we get more of this flashback that we saw in the 90s. I love any time we see Josh Lucas. I don't know why. I like him a lot. I just As an actor. <laughs> I, I enjoy him as an actor, but I also enjoy his character portrayal of younger John Dutton. He's got yeah. the gravelly voice down. Like, he's I was going to say lot. that his voice this episode was like so like, low. If you close your eyes, it's hard to know if it's Josh Lucas yeah. or Kevin Costner talking. And I appreciate that very much about like the continuity of the character throughout the flashback. It really does feel like that's the younger John Dutton. Yes, it feels real. So I did some research because that's what I do. <laughs> so I was like, her. hmm, like, because we figured that this had to be like late 90s, early 2000, right? Based on Beth and Rip's sort of timeline, like Beth going off to college. We kind of figured she was in her 40s now. So she would be going off to college at 18. Mm-hmm. So I look to see when the wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone. Because they talk about these wolves right. in Alberta, right? So, you know, that kind of raises my, hmm, my, my Google, my Google ra- radar. Your Googler? Like, my Googler. Yeah, you go. It's my Googler. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, back to this. The wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone in 1995. So starting the spring okay. of 95 and up until the spring of 96, 31 wolves were released into the wild and uh, yes, they did, in fact, originate from an Alberta, Canada species of wolves. And those wolves have been the ones that have repopulated the wolf species in Yellowstone, uh, okay. the national park. So very good information. Thank well, you. I thought that it would be of interest because it's like, well, it, it also gives us then context for the timeline. So this is probably late 1995, which would make sense based on Beth's timeline so you know for her going off to college and being about 17 or 18 depending on when her birthday falls i don't know if we got the full family tree on the duttons but yeah so that's that's kind of like where we're at right now and then that would also be then making sense if we're talking about the same timeline based on the the ranch hand employment so that guy that beth uh hooks up with after uh she goes into town with rip for that Mm -hmm. date he's still there and he was also there with the cell phone tower because I don't think that these are necessarily the same timeline. I think that the cell phone thing happened a little bit later. And I oh. think that this happened a little bit earlier. It's possible. I'm Sorry, I was a history major. This is what I studied for. Oh, that? Okay. <laughs> Sheila, I don't know if you've ever told me that before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That well, makes I, a lot I study of to now. remember. That's Okay. <laughs> and try to make some sort of, you know, logical connection between things. So I Now try. I get you even more. Oh, mm-hmm. another puzzle piece. Yes, I didn't. I don't think I knew that. I had some similar questions 
you know, why the wolves were reintroduced. I thought that, you know, John being on this commission that, you know, they were having like this sort of town hall meeting of all the ranchers where everybody's yelling and screaming and he's just sitting there like listening. So I thought it was interesting to see him go back into the, you know, back room or whatever and and say like, you know, you guys promised that this wouldn't happen, which I thought was hilarious. Like, how are you going to promise that the wolves aren't going to eat your cattle? Right. <laughs> like, what? Sounds like a politician thing to do. And then um, for him to say, too, there's been a couple of comments, even, you know, in present day from Rip and then this past flashback from John about the wolves didn't know, like, to stay on their side, you know? It's like, of course, they're like, they're not, they got the taste of a different species. They got cow, you know, cattle, they got steaks. So they're going to come, you know, find some more food. So. Yeah, so and there's tons of them. <laughs> they're like they didn't listen to the you know invisible fence and not come over here. I can see how this is a huge problem for the ranchers, but yeah, it's it's actually become an even bigger issue in present day when these wolves are protected and collared and tracked and right GPS triangulation yeah. to their location. This is a big deal. Even when Fish and Wildlife showed up at the ranch and they had known exactly that they stayed in the same spot for like three days or something. I thought, oh, that's a long time. Why would they have left them there that long? You know, that seems suspicious. So, yeah, I wasn't sure if like the wolves themselves like had been roaming the ranch for three days. Like it just wasn't clear. It almost made it sound like they stayed in that one field for three days. That's what it kind of sounded like to me. And, and they thought, said well, it that's... was consistent with feeding. So, yeah, oh, so maybe they okay. had, because they, they did find, Rip did find a couple of cows in the field, right? Mm-hmm. But Ryan said that he didn't think that a wolf killed the cow. I'm still stuck on that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm just wondering what that means, because like if he thinks that the wolf didn't kill him based on the lack of marks on particular parts of the of the cow, but the feeding is consistent with the wolf. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. still kind of stuck on like, well, then why show us that EPA flashback last time out? I'm just I'm just interested to see like where this goes, because, you know, that comment from Ryan, it's staying with me because, again, they're not going to put something in there that pointed and not have it mean something. And then also the fact that they're able to trace this location. And I'm like, good for us for being good TV watching to be like Jake Till and that's that field that has to do with those wolves. Yes. Yeah. Right. There's no other reason <laughs> so for funny. that. They're like, this is a weird place for a pasture of hay. <laughs> it's like, why? We move it around. Totally makes sense. What's your problem, man? So let me ask you. So this is a perfect segue to this, this like question I had, you know, kind of prepped to go for this. Is the fish and wildlife officers, are they convinced about Rip's explanation or are they coming back? Are they coming back? <laughs> no, I don't think they're convinced. Uh, they may not come back because Rip did not accompany them on their, like, you know, following the trail of the wolves. And he was like, good right. luck out there. Most of the cowboys don't make it back. So I don't know. Maybe they don't make it back, like, technically. But uh, I don't think this problem is gone for sure. But <laughs> I thought it was funny. He's like, okay, well, this is where I leave you. You guys have fun with that. So so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb here. So Rip you know, told this lie. And am I going to say it's a white lie? That's a big, bold-faced lie to <laughs> fish and wildlife. So did he tell him this about the mountain, saying that, you know, it's like swallowed up many a cowboy? Did he tell them that so that they don't go up the mountain and maybe see oh. horse tracks? Oh. And the only reason I'm asking you that question is because as they're ending this shot, we kind of like see the camera pan to this one section of 
the mm. edge of the field. And to me, I don't know what you thought it looked like. I thought it looked like a horse hoof print. Yeah. Like a horseshoe print. Mm-hmm. Horseshoe print. There we go. That's, that's a really good point. And then he told them to get it in the copter. Like when they said, they said, oh, well, maybe we'll just do this from the helicopter. And he was like, yeah, you do that. <laughs> yeah, you do that. That's a good point, Sheila. So I'm just wondering, you know, because the three of them rode up. So it was Ryan Colby and Rip who did this, you know, into the park with the the radio collars. Maybe it was Mm -hmm. that there would be no way to cover their horse hoof prints or horse. I can't speak today. I'm so sorry. The horseshoe prints going up the mountain because, you know, John talked about seeing like the wolf prints and that's his proof Mm -hmm. um, in the flashback. Right. And he said, you know, the, the wolf paw prints are the same size as his hand. Like no dog would do that. So I'm just thinking, I'm just trying to like go with nice. the theme that I'm hearing. Good call. Yeah. Good I don't know. I could that. be talking out of my right. butt, but I don't know. <laughs> it just seems, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, five years of watching Yellowstone, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm trying right? to like, how would Taylor think? The details matter. How would Taylor think? Um, exactly. Sure. Details yeah. matter. So I'm just mm-hmm. maybe that, that that's the reason why. But I, I feel like somehow the fact that they lingered on this horseshoe print is going to come back at some point. Because again, Jake tilling the field was... Uh, only covered up part of the Only covered issue. up part of it. Exactly. And now you're at the edge uh-huh. of the field and there was a horseshoe print there. So I'm, I'm not sure where this is going to go, but I'm just... I'm putting a pin in it so that we nice. can see it later. I think you're right. That's a good point. Cool. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Ratcheting up the, the, the drama and tension. There's that word again. Every time we say ratchet, you got to take a shot. Oh, yes. I'm just kidding. Um, before we move off of Rip, I have a question. Okay. Why is he so nice to Carter this episode? <laughs> There's no other way to ask that because he was Why is he so nice? horrid. The yeah, last, especially really the was. last episode. I don't even want to go back to what the last episode was with the horse and Carter had the accident. Don't even want to go Aww. back there. But Rip was horrible, horrible, horrible to him. And you and I even were just like, what in the hell, man? And, you know, oh we, we we brought in, you know, the fact in episode one that Rip was sitting on the hill watching the inaugural party uh, mm-hmm. talking about Rome burning and John going to lose this place. And then being so awful to Carter, we're like, is, is he just like unsettled with everything? Right. We had a, actually a really good listener comment about that. Yes, we did. And that was that was very exciting because we're like, we're like, please, you know, tweet Send to us, comment. comment. Yeah. Read what she wrote. Ashley, thank you for your comment. She asked, what happens to Rip when the Yellowstone has to be sold off? When John took on teenage Rip, he had the local governing body erase all evidence that Rip ever existed. Sure, he could go get a job as a ranch hand on someone else's ranch until a California developer buys up that ranch. He'll literally be floating from one ranch to another. Of course, I'm sure Beth is a factor here too, but when Beth has to leave the ranch, she'll be going back to the city, back to corporate world, where there's really no place for Rip. Does the show end with Rip dying on the Yellowstone? Wow. So we were um, discussing your comment, Ashley, this week, and it's like you put together all of the things that Sheila and I were like hitting on, but hadn't really put the bow around it. So I totally agree. Like we were discussing like where's Rip's head at, that he's being such an asshole. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. Like maybe he is feeling like this. If the Yellowstone isn't here, if John's not paying attention and then we lose the ranch, like where will I go? And that is a very valid point, I think, as to where Rip is feeling, you know, like we're going to lose this place. This is bad. We're not going to make it through this. Specifically, he's not going to make it through this. So I think that was a really, really good point. But as far as this episode and him being nice, I don't know. (laughs) 
maybe Beth's been home a little bit more and he's happier. And we even said, like, he should be happier. He's got his woman, like, they're happily married. You know, he won the prize, quote unquote. And they have Carter, for better or for worse. And, and Rip, for the most part, seemed last season, he, he came, once he came around to Carter, he was, you know, he was okay with it. Yeah, he seemed like in a, in a much better mood, you like know, place, this time. Yeah. And uh, even at the end of the episode, Beth was like, are you smiling? So, yeah. You know, he did make the comment to Carter that if you haven't noticed, orphans don't get shipped off here. So maybe, I don't know. There, I don't think that we have a real reason as to why he's being nicer. Maybe he feels more settled. But why do you think he was nicer? Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't exactly know why. But I do appreciate the comment from Ashley because we didn't quite get to that point. Yeah. Where we said that he's uneasy about the Yellowstone collapsing. Like his future. That, yeah, right. Like his future. Yeah. He was just. But I mean, that would make sense that he would be unsettled because this is the only only home that he's really had and to not have it would be terrifying Mm -hmm. for him but now he is married to Beth so there is sort of a safety net I suppose for him in the event that that does happen but Beth doesn't have a lot of like outward prospects at the moment you know she's basically working for her father for the ranch and for the governor I mean I thought it was like kind of weird is the word I'm going to use that later we saw we saw Beth come home to Rip and Carter eating dinner at the table and so that she sits down with them it's like their little family dinner and then later in the episode she says I'll see you later baby and I was like she just called him baby yes I noted that too in my notes I was like oh I guess we've gotten past the point where you can't call me mama right so it's like okay we're like a little family again or they have like a little thing going on but I do like the thought that Rip is contemplating his own future if the Yellowstone does collapse. I also appreciate the fact that Ashley is just as skeptical as us, that Market Equities is not the last person that's going to come knocking on the door right. to knock down the ranch. But I also don't necessarily know why Rip has done this about face without any kind of segue, really. There's yeah, no segue between mm-hmm. him being, you got to be more careful. You have to have one eye on the horse and one eye on the ground. From last episode when Carter broke his arm in this catastrophic horse fall to we don't ship orphans out around here. Like, I just don't get that pendulum swing from being completely evil to, hey, essentially, I love you. Right. Right. Because, I mean, like, if you you read between the lines, like, I'm an orphan, too. You're an orphan. We don't get shipped out. It's going to be good to see where Rip and Carter's relationship goes. Did Carter have a cast on his arm? I didn't even know. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, that was a random thought in my head. I didn't really pay attention. He was feeding the calf. I think he broke his left arm last episode, and he was feeding the calf with his right arm, but it was a weird angle, so it's possible. Who knows? He had had like a hoodie on. I don't know why I thought about that. Random. (laughs) I do have a continuity error for you for later. I had to. Oh, you do? I do. I I caught something big. I was like, oh, God, how did they miss no that? Way. Maybe, okay, I'm going to say we do see this before they give us that this is the final, final version of the episode. Sometimes That's we've, true. you know, sometimes we've seen things and they're like, you know, this will be fixed in post or there'll be like effects that are going to be put in here. Okay. So yeah. we, don't, we don't see yeah, the final versions. <laughs> so we've got the, the Rip and Carter thaw happening, right? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> Rip's anger with Carter seems to kind of like ebb and flow, but... I was really rattled by how Ellis came across this episode, Ellis from Market Equities, mm-hmm. when he sat down with Jamie and Sarah Atwood was there too. This was a really interesting 
take on a character who we've seen like I, I liken this back to Rip and Carter because like their relationship kind of goes back and forth where Carter's just kind of bewildered and I just feel like Ellis is kind of like that calm you know I'm gonna try not to rock the boat that Carter has been trying so hard to do and then this episode like Ellis was just I was shocked I was shocked at the <laughs> subterfuge he's been so quiet and you know poised. just sort of standing there yeah and, you know, the most we ever saw out of him was when Beth was insulting his sexual proclivities <laughs> back in last episode, right? When he, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the last episode, last season, sorry. When yeah. he was, you know, she was talking about like the devious things that he's probably into. And he was like, I find you offensive. And that was about as colorful a response mm. as we've gotten. Yeah. So Sarah and Ellis are waiting in Jamie's office when the suit is filed. And then Ellis fakes this anger with Jamie. And at first I bought it. I I was like, I put in my nose. I was like, damn, I was like, these Duttons get under everyone's skin. Right. Because like if you can rattle Ellis, to what end or to what point does it serve having him fake this anger outburst and, and storm out of the office and essentially batter batter the uh the secretary as um right as she's trying to bring jamie coffee <laughs> jamie that's battery don't worry we won't press charges oh my god jamie was great in this episode i thought so too i want to talk about that in a second i thought jamie did awesome so my take on ellis being so angry and like oh this is you guys are impossible and storming out and then later sarah saying like hey you played that well I think that's trying to build a little rapport and trust between Jamie and Sarah so that he does meet up with her so that because she so it's like he's blowing up like, oh, this is you guys are impossible. And then he storms out and she's like, she's like, oh, you're good. And then she's like, I'm looking for a softer landing. Like, I want to work on, you know, let's meet in the middle on this. So I think that it was just to make Jamie sort of see her as less threatening and maybe trust her a little enough to take a meeting or enough to have a further conversation with her. Yeah, I was thinking this was like good cop, bad cop. So it was Ellis' turn to be bad cop so that Sarah could, you know, slide in and just be... Like she said, the softer landing because, mm-hmm. you know, the black and white nature of a courtroom isn't going to get them where they need to be. Right. But I mean, Sarah's also her approach. It doesn't seem like she's got a lot of game in the sense that like we haven't seen much of a range so far from her. Granted, mm-hmm. she only came in last episode, but she essentially insults Jamie while trying to give a compliment. You know, she expected to find lawyers out here without sophistication. It's a way of saying he's sophisticated or more sophisticated than she thought he was going to be. But at the same time, it's just like, I thought you were a bunch of hillbillies. No, I thought that was her way of like complimenting him. And But it was like, um, a, it's like a backhanded compliment. Well, yeah. But... <laughs> It just but it, it, Jamie doesn't get a lot of compliments, so he'll take anything he can get. Well, that's not wrong. That yeah. that was also my next kind of like thought process here was like, is this like the battered dog syndrome where like any mm-hmm. love is good love? Yes. Um, or any attention is good attention, even yes. you know, it's it's kind of like a narcissistic trait, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. you know I think that's totally her play and because Ellis and Sarah and I think Caroline have even mentioned, you know, just seeing him on TV, like, whoa, he's not, he's not all in on this. Like, so let's show him some attention. So I think they've figured that out. And then this is their play of like, okay, well, you act all pissed off. And then I'm going to come in and be like, well, let's just talk about this. 
but she makes some really good points that yeah. how is the state going to make money, right? So now they've obviously thrown out all of the, the potential for this revenue, this future revenue. And then the government has stepped in and put a wrinkle in the works too with mm-hmm. these different moratoriums that they put on. Well, for her to say, you know, this is true. Like she knows that he- He's not a dummy. Knows it's not a good idea, but he's just, you know, executing what he's been told. So I think this was all figured out by Sarah and Ellis and planned. But she asks him to dinner. I thought that was really weird. That's definitely not a... All right. It's It's not a business transaction. Business transaction would be, let's meet for lunch or something like that. But like dinner between a man and a woman and her overly sexualized manner it just feels like she's going to manipulate it. I feel like she's yeah. got his number, knowing that he's not mm-hmm. as confident maybe as the rest. Um, that And she says he's not up for this fight. So maybe she's going to exploit his manly weaknesses um, as she explores his mental weaknesses. Yeah. I think if she wasn't doing that, she'd say, yeah, let's just have another meeting or let's set up more time to discuss this. Like this can be done in a conference room. Right. It doesn't or need to be done at dinner. And coffee. Right. To me, when you have a work dinner, it's because you've been working with someone for a while. You have accomplished something or you're trying to get their business. Dinner is for like social and unwinding. John said at this episode, like mornings are for reflection and evenings are for forgetting. (laughs) So if she was really trying to just focus on getting this business issues worked out, she'd suggest a conference room with bagels and fruit. Yeah. I mean, this is not. Yeah. There's definitely some ulterior motives. And Jamie is either not smart enough to see it or is just willing to go along for the ride. Or doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, Jamie's fatal flaw is that he lacks confidence in himself. Mm -hmm. He did seem more confident. I liked how when they, he walked in and they were in his office, he was already like on the defensive. I appreciated that. Yeah. I love when Jamie is like that, when he is on the ball and he is, the snark is just dripping from his, every single word that comes out of his mouth. I appreciated every scene with him, every line that came out of his mouth. Me too. This, this I episode. loved that scene. I was like, yes, finally. Like this bemused some fire sarcasm that he has. When he when that comes out, I'm just like, yes, I'm like, I'm here for it. And then these are the moments where I want to root for Jamie. Mm-hmm. And I want him to remember in the moments where he's sniveling and weak. <laughs> I'm like, you're better than this man. I think, yeah, we like to see Jamie like this. Yeah, like I said it last episode, he's one of my favorite characters because of the complexity in which his character, you know, has to go through and the things that he allows himself to feel. This is just another layer on top of that, because when he's on his game, when he's at his peak, he's formidable. He is. Yeah, he's good. The dynamic between him and Ellis in particular with the battery of the secretary with the coffee is just like someone needs to gift that as well. So I've learned this week that somebody gift the my favorite line from last episode where Rip says to Carter that God didn't add extra daylight to Tuesday, which will be, you know, coming your way, Steph, anytime I text you waiting for screeners (laughs) or something. But yeah, they, they, they give him some good singers, some good like one liners here that makes you realize that, yes, he is a smart man. And yes, he is fully capable when he allows himself to not be intimidated by Beth or John. Right. I need to see more of that. Agreed. But I feel like Sarah's going to like walk all over him. <laughs> I, feel, I don't know. I think that she's got a read on him and she knows that he's this wounded dog in the Dutton family. I mean, this kind of feels like Christina. 
you know, coming in as his campaign manager and getting what she wants because she was spending time with him at night and, right. you know. Yeah, I'm just, I'm worried. And then I'm also worried, so I'm worried about that, that, you know, she's going to, you know, get some corporate secrets out of Jamie or government secret, get government secrets out of Jamie, you know, by betting him because, you know, drinks at the Deerfield Club is going to lead to shenanigans back in one of their places. And I'm also like, but Christine is somewhere lurking in the background. There's a baby lurking in the background, you know? So how's that all going to work? Oh, wait, does John even know about this baby? We haven't seen that come we out, haven't have we? haven't seen that dynamic <gasps> at all, no. So oh I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I don't side think note. so. We side don't even, note. Yeah, side note, put a pin in that. And I just feel like, you know, th- this would be right for Christina, like walking into the Deerfoot Club, being like, hey, what are you doing? What? <laughs> um, She's got she got like a location on services on. She's like, what are you doing here? And right. He's like, uh-huh. You know, he's got his own little GPS radio tag. I don't feel right? like they're together, though. I feel like I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's get... any sort of commitment. <laughs> but I mean, I did feel like last season, especially towards like the last two episodes or whatever, that her and Garrett Randall, uh, Jamie's dad, you know, were sitting there kind of plotting with their fingers twirling, pulling his marionette string. So I'm not so sure that she's very far away. No, definitely. Yeah. I feel like she's the type of person that would be close by to be ready to berate Jamie, just as Beth is ready at any moment Mm -hmm. to to berate Jamie. You know, we saw Sarah sort of orchestrating this play with Jamie, but speaking of making a play, that was so interesting to watch Beth wreak havoc today. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my Lord. Okay. I. (laughs) Before you say anything else, was her her explanation to Rob, was that satisfactory? I think so. Okay. What do you think? It made sense, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as you know, all of this land trust stuff makes sense to me. Yes, it did. But what do you think? I appreciated the fact that they laid it out so plainly because I have mm-hmm. seen some commentary going like, I don't get this show. Like, you know, things are getting confusing with like all the, yes. the land stuff. So I feel like this was a way to kind of walk back some of that confusing jargon that even you and I have, uh, you know, sort of tried to break down. And um, yeah. Or like Googling, like, what does it mean to have a conservation easement? Right. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I have my notes from episode, you know, blah, blah, in season two. I do appreciate the fact that it was laid out in a very kind of simple way to kind of catch us up to these, you know, complex dealings. But at the same time, I wanted to ask you, was this her plan all along or was this just an opportunity that arose at a great time for her? Mm, To sell off the controlling interest? Yeah. Is that what? Yeah, so to get control of Schwartz and Meyer, I mean, obviously she did that in the short term was to fire Bob. Right. But was in the long term, was this her ultimate play to really screw over market equities? It kind of felt like this was her reaction, you know, to what happened. But you're right. I mean, this could totally have been her plan all along. She did say that, like, she was building the moat around the ranch by scooping up all of those properties. It would just be really interesting to see where this goes next episode because this served to bridge some of that corporate espionage accusations that were laid at the end of last season where Beth kind of touches on that she's going to be sued for violating the NDA clause in her contract and the debate over her severance because Caroline Weaver's accusation was that she's going to go down for this, like she's going to go to jail essentially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, couldn't help myself. I looked up that corporate espionage, like at the federal level, could carry up to 15 years of jail time and $500,000 per offense. 
So maybe because this involved a reporter and they weren't able to subpoena records, that maybe the criminal corporate espionage charge couldn't be proved and they're just going after her monetarily. Yeah. I do come back to like Beth plays a long game. So I'm yeah. thinking that she might have, you know, gotten like a, a two birds in one stone deal out of taking controlling interest over Schwartz and Meyer from market equities as her compensation. And then her explaining to this guy, Rob, from Brunson Investment that essentially this will nullify market equities, you know, and this could bankrupt them. Yeah, this is a huge financial blow to them and that it seemed like such an explosion to their financials that they no longer will care about pursuing charges against Beth. Kind of like, leave it alone, whatever, it's done. That was the feeling I got at the end of the episode that when they, when the board of market equities called Caroline back to New York was kind of like, well, that's done. But you're right. I mean, I can totally see how she could have orchestrated all of that because she did take the job with market equities, you know, only for the controlling interest in Schwartz and Meyer. Like, so, yeah, she she totally could have orchestrated that. In the short term, her taking over Schwartz and Meyer to Caroline Weaver at the time would have been like, yeah, she just wants to go screw over her old boss. And, you know, he screwed her over. So she's going to, you know, bankrupt him without thinking long term, because what we've Hmm. seen so far of Caroline Weaver is that she appears. Isn't her name Caroline Warner? Warner. What did I say? Weaver? Weaver. Oh, yeah. The act. Oh, my God. Duh. The actress's name is Jackie Weaver. (laughs) (laughs) Caroline Warner. I apologize. Oh, one of the things I saw, sorry, uh, remind me of what I was talking about because it's a I don't weird know. Tangent. I totally lost it. Okay. So I'll finish the thought and then I'll say the other thing that I learned that Caroline Warner has been very poised up until this point, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she's, well, not up until this point, but what we saw of her in season four was that she has this temper rage, but it it looks like it's veiled. It looks like it's masked. Yeah. And then this season, we've seen her kind of with the gloves off. My point in this is that somebody who is quick to anger, quick to rage, may not be calm enough to see all the chess moves up ahead. And I use the word chess moves, you know, the word chess moves, because Ellis even says, like, this is checkmate. And I feel like that this is exactly Beth Beth is a strategist. And I feel like that's where her strength lies. As much rage as she has filled in her, she can still sit and see the long game. And I feel like she might have sat and thought this one out, knowing that this was in her back pocket the whole time. And then this would be a $2 billion loss for market equities. And she said, and this is how CEOs get fired. So I thought that that was a really interesting take on this. And I was just like, hmm. This is not something that just fell in her lap. I feel like this is really something that she knew that she could use. She just Mm -hmm. didn't know if she could. But I just feel like the corporate espionage criminal charges might be gone. And I feel like this is the way to bridge the end of that arc from last season. Yeah, it seems like she's squashed that bug. So before we move on from this, I just want to say the, the thing that I saw this week that I was just like, wait, what? People thought that Caroline Warner's character was played by Sally Struthers. Did you see this? What? No, I didn't see that. Yes. So a friend of mine, Emma, she lives in Australia and we were talking about Yellowstone because she's a huge fan too. And she's done podcasts with me in the past with Younger. Mm -hmm. And she's the one who actually said that she saw a comment that someone said that this this actress looks like uh, Sally Struthers. And I'm like, like, okay, I see it. 
I, I can see no. it, but no. So uh, what I said before was that I was getting mixed up with the the character's name, who with the actor who plays her. Uh, so Jackie Weaver is quite famous in Australia. She's an Australian-born oh, actress, okay. and she's done a lot of work there. She hasn't been in a lot of stuff that we may have seen over here, but she's not Sally Struthers. Her name is Jackie Weaver. She's, <laughs> she's a not completely different person altogether. Yeah. But I just don't know. Is this the end of Caroline Warner? I I. It felt like it. It does feel like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they, the board told her to come back. And I was like, I I think this is checkmate. I'm like, she has figured you out. She's got it. Like, damn girl, she's good. I also didn't know what this means when she says that, you know, like Sarah has no rules. Like, what is Sarah going to do? What is she capable of to ruin the family? Like, that's going to be, I mean, we we can't even know. (laughs) But uh, it's just going to be very interesting. That was well played by Beth. That was pretty, like, if you think about it and like you're saying, sort of sum it up at the high level, like, that was pretty badass, you know? I like that this Rob guy was like, okay, what's the catch, lady? Like, this is too good to be true. Um, It it didn't even seem like she actually sold it for, like, a dollar or anything. Like, she just said that's what she wanted. They signed the line. Like, they didn't. It was, like, in kind. Like, she wanted. She was like, yeah, yeah, but she's like, I don't even want your money. I just want. The land. So it yeah. kind of felt like she gave him the yes. controlling interest. So, yes, I don't feel like that she got money out of this deal. No, exactly. She that's just what, got I control of the real estate that she now put into a conservation easement. So that's. I love that she had it ready to go, like already filled out and just like, oh, be. Backs it over can now. You go ahead and yeah. courier that over. Yeah. That's so funny. That was well played on her part. But, you know, like any good corporate espionage er. She's uh she's got her steps. Espionage. Yeah, I'm making up words here. I like it. I like yeah, we're good at this. A proprietor of corporate espionage. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't surprise me that she would have her ducks lined up to be, you know, Oh, let for go. sure. Yeah. She's ready. I like too. She said, I'm one step ahead of them, but not two. Like I gotta get this shit done. Right. You're right, because she does have controlling interest until they make their move. Yeah. And they can't undo a sale while she technically was still head of the company. She's a smart cookie. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, that's why I feel that she had this long game Mm -hmm. sort of collateral benefit ready in her back pocket, ready to go when she needed Mm -hmm. to do it. Caroline made this personal. And so she made it even more personal because now Caroline Warner is not going to survive. She's probably this not debacle. the CEO anymore. I'd say not. Maybe Ellis. Maybe this was Ellis's plan all along. To get... No. <laughs> like, no. Isn't no. he the lawyer, though? Like he's I just don't know. The... But he was like the first face we saw of market equities. Like, yeah, way back I think he's so, just the lawyer. Just the um, lawyer. Lot of, just, lot of I don't mean it like down that. His I just accomplishments <laughs> and achievements. Poor no, Ellis. no, no. Ellis, you've, <laughs> you've earned your place, man. But you know what I meant. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm just busting yes. on you. I know. Oh, I just love this. But she comes back to the ranch on cloud nine. She's like, I love, she walks in. She's like, I just fucked over somebody. She's like, and I felt good about it. <laughs> Dang, girl. This is like, how you really feel. Oh, yeah. Oh, my god. I like gosh. that Carter says he feels bad for the other guy and Rip agrees. I know. <laughs> Rip's like, yeah, me too. So, but that, her lo- like level of confidence and feeling good sure led to like a shit show. Damn. Oh, my God. Okay, so it's Lloyd's birthday on the ranch. Mm-hmm. I love that they're, like, bantering about how old he is. And they're like, he, you're like, aren't you 70? He's like, 70? Do I look 70 to you? And I'm like, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, kind of do. So I uh, looked him. I did my own Google search. He's um, 69 right now, currently in real life. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he definitely doesn't look 58. Like they said on the show, he's like, I'm 58. I'm like, no, you're not. No. But when you spend all day outside and working with your hand, like you do, you know, show the signs. But I did not think he was 58. Like, no. I love how they're just busting his ass about how old he is. Like, aren't you 80? Like, how old are you? (laughs) Yes, that was pretty cruel. I love Ryan and his banter. He's so good at it. Yes. So this was where I saw the other continuity error. I I appreciate the fact that Walker and Laramie are back together, even though those barrel racers annoyed us. But um, the fact that Lloyd seems to be okay with it, right? Because he really struggled last season. Yeah. And Walker got stabbed as a result. Yeah. Walker was also branded. His chest, in the version that we saw, was completely clean. Really? I didn't even notice. There was no brand and there was no scar. Usually I notice stuff like that, but I didn't. So it'll be interesting to see when we watch this, uh, when it airs, if that was mm-hmm. put in post. But I did notice it and I was like, <laughs> even put in my notes, I'm like, continuity error? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't even notice that. But yeah, I thought that was funny that they opened the shower and Laramie's in there. I didn't even expect that. I was like, oh, hey. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're back. <laughs> you're back. <laughs> so uh, they're wanting to celebrate Lloyd's birthday. I love that Beth comes. She's like, let's go to the bunkhouse. That was like so boring. She's like, this is, you guys do this every night. Like just sit here and play cards. Like how long do we have to sit here? But like how Beth of uh, uh, an action is that? That she's like hijacks Lloyd's birthday. Be like, we're going to go to Bozeman. And Rip. Rip says he doesn't, he says, I said no. Like, Beth, I, I, I said like, no. How did you think that that was going to go really? She's like, did you, did you say no? Is that, is that really... Okay, you said no. Like, yeah, that's not. Happening. I was like, dude. <laughs> so yeah, so she hijacked Lloyd's birthday, which I thought was just you know very in character. True, I didn't even see it that way. <laughs> oh my gosh, I like to see them dancing. They were having fun. I was like making. I was like Teeter and Colby were dancing. Yes, that was very sweet. Walker and Laramie. I like the singer girl. She's so pretty. Um, her voice, her, want, she's an actual she? singer. She, yeah, um, of course. I didn't know this at first. and like, I didn't put two and two together. Like I knew Lady Wilson is who plays Abby. So I just didn't recognize her in the, I guess it was episode one. This is, I didn't recognize her mm-hmm. uh, as being the actress who's playing Abby. But then this time, like I'm hearing her voice singing. I'm like, because we didn't hear her sing last time. Right. So hearing her, I'm like, wait a second, I know this person. <laughs> and um, but she's back and Ryan's like, oh, he's he's all excited. He's like, hey, I know. Yeah, he has his little dancing, and then, you know, tall drink of water comes finds Rip. Oh gosh. Oh my god. Do you think part. that um Rip sort of saying hi to the bar M cowboy and um buying him a drink? Is that are we gonna need those guys later? They came to the inauguration party at the ranch. Mm-hmm. That's where, like, they were doing the roping and stuff like that. I have to go back and watch that episode now and see if this guy with this gnarly mustache was uh, one of those yeah, folks. Right. That is a that is a must. That is a Sam Elliott level. Yeah, right. Mustache, uh, just to bring eighteen eighty three into this. I don't know. I, I they they keep bringing up this bar M. Like this yeah, is the second do, time this season so. where we haven't seen them at all in the prior four. I think we'll, I think we'll have to see them again. I think since they've yeah, been there here might twice. Be some, yeah, there might be some bunkhouse shenanigans where they, you know, team up for some mayhem. Oh, um, yeah. I, I like bunkhouse shenanigan mayhem. 
there's another bar brawl. We got another bar yeah. brawl because holy like, shit. So Beth as a jealous wife is uh, is quite dangerous. Yeah. This was not as satisfying for me as the bull in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I know that this is, you know, kind of like bringing it back. What was it like at, like season one? Yeah, probably. It was, was like, um, I don't I don't necessarily know if it was season one, but it was early on because uh, it was like Casey trying to like. But they get, were like getting re- like revenge on those guys. For sh- yeah, no, they were getting revenge. What. But like, I think this it was also just... when Casey was trying to like, you know, establish himself as the ranch foreman kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this was his way of like kind of like, getting, you know, in good, I guess, with the, the bunkhouse boys. But this was not as satisfying for me as that. It was good. It was good to see. Like, I, I enjoy a good bar brawl. Um, <laughs> uh, nice to get to see one. But um, it didn't have sort of like the bravado that the, the No, the I mean, because it's just some random person that Beth just like loses her shit on. Yeah. Why did she walk over there? The girl, she like walked over to Beth. Yeah, I don't know. I think that she was maybe trying to like smooth things over and be like, mm-hmm. oh, it wasn't what you thought it was, honey. And, you know, Beth can't be reasoned with. <laughs> I love it. He goes, because Rip told her like two minutes before this, like, keep your crazy in check. I'm like, oh, yeah. just chill. Like, she walked away. Like, he and said, that's like my Rip wife and like pointed her. at her. Yeah. yeah. Maybe unnecessary on your part, Beth, but this seems to have caused a really big problem because we see them all lined up with the bars cleared out. Everybody's sheriff and cops and handcuffs and pressing charges. Just, and But she just walks out after they're all lined up outside and just walks over and just like sucker punches her again. <laughs> yeah. Not smart, Beth. Come yeah, on. Like not in front of the sheriff. Don't do the right? aggravated assault right in front of the sheriff. <laughs> At least you had plausible deniability up until that point. Be like, it wasn't me. Right. She was some other strawberry blonde with a broken bottle in her hand. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Why? Like, why to that level, Beth? Like, it didn't really need to be like that. So according to next week's preview, this is going to be like a bigger issue than a bar fight. Like, this is... Right. Jamie's advising Beth. And then this lady sits down with Jamie, it looks like. Well, I even wrote that like in my notes. I was like, who's she going to call Jamie? Like, no, she would never call him as her lawyer. No, but he probably did go see her to like let her know that there's bigger problems afoot. You know, this is going to be interesting because like this is going to be a way for Jamie to maybe get back at Beth a little. Mm -hmm. Knock her down a peg. Ooh. Wouldn't you that know? be interesting? Like now that he's got the upper hand, like Jamie's kind of like his star is rising a little bit <laughs> this episode yeah, maybe. And, and maybe next. I also think Beth might have been a little triggered from the conversation earlier in the day with John when the, he was on yeah. the porch and she was on the porch and he was talking about her mother and she, you know, she was weeping. She was crying after that. Yeah. And I just thought it was very interesting because like, I feel like this conversation opens the door for Summer Higgins to come right back in. In what way? Oh, like go find somebody to love while you're young oh, enough to love them. I thought you meant like with Beth being in jail. I was like, what? Why? Oh, no, no, no. I, think, like, <laughs> I feel like somewhere deep down in her body, she was triggered by the conversation from earlier. Right. And yes. like she couldn't keep her crazy in check because it had been a little bit too... Um, too much of a day. It was too much of a day. I think that's a really good it's way to put day. it. It's been a day. Yeah. Like, you know, so it started with, you know, her mother being brought up. And, you know, I just thought it was interesting that John seems to be either blind to the struggles that Beth had with her mother or maybe... Had 
has glossed over them in the years mm-hmm. intervening. Yeah, he just remembers the good things and has, you know, it's his wife, so he has fond memories of her. But I don't think that as time goes on, you you necessarily remember all those little things, which not little to Beth, but maybe little to him, yeah. you know, as a busy dad rancher. But I also thought it was very mature of Beth to not fire back some retort to him Mm -hmm. about how not motherly she was and just kind of let that sleeping dog lie. I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a specific situation, but like maybe with grandparents who as adults, you know, you see their flaws, like they're human. So you learn stuff about your family that you didn't necessarily know when you were a child. So when your child said something fond about that person, you're not going to be like, well, yeah, but they were an asshole. You know, like you're going to just let the person have a fond memory. Like you're not going to. So it's like, that's kind of what she was doing. Like, well, if you see it that way, dad, then okay. But I just thought that was a mature move on her part because we haven't really seen a lot of emotional maturity out of Mm -hmm. Beth. Well, and then she lost it again by the end of the day. I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, you know, she has to have an outlet for it. Oh, goodness. But aggravated assault is not an easy charge to skirt Mm -hmm. under the rug. There's a lot of witnesses. There's a lot of witnesses. And even though Sheriff Ramsey lets the bunkhouse people go, there's all the other people in the bar who saw it. Oh, goodness. Well, that was a very exciting ending to the episode, too. It It was. was. A lot of blood. It was a lot of blood. And (laughs) I just appreciate also the fact that Beth is able to somehow handcuffed in the back of the truck Give the middle finger because you know that that had to hurt because at some point, like, you know, she's contorting her left arm in order to get her hand. You should see what I'm doing now. I'm actually doing the motion. Are you doing it? How far back do you have to reach? So I just appreciate the fact that she put herself into into pain to yeah. to give that lady the finger to make sure that she's never it. been handcuffed. I don't I've know. never been handcuffed. No, I've never. Okay, me either. Yeah. Sorry, that's not one of the bucket list not items. Not that, that it I've matters, got. but right. You know, not a bucket list item that I'm after. I'm not after having, right. you know, arrested handcuffs. I've never been read my rights. No. <laughs> and I like neither. to keep it that way. So um, Oh gosh. But well, yeah, so yeah. See, it I'm, was a good episode. Like it, it was a it's good episode. like Yeah, we were talking about land and controlling interest, but a lot happened and very exciting. So very new. I'm super excited for next week. I have no idea what's coming next. Do you? All I know is what we saw from the promo. So if you don't want to know mm-hmm. what happens next episode, cover your ears now. Sarah talks to Jamie about, you know, ruining her, his father's reputation. So I'm like, ooh, mm. there's a lot of skeletons in those closets, you know, Yeek. in those Dutton closets. All I'm thinking of two words are train station. And John said something this episode, too, to Casey that he's trying to convince himself to do good in a job that he doesn't want. Yeah. So um, we do see him and Linnell have a conversation in the promo about, you know, she tells him if you open Pandora's box, then you can't close it again. So something yeah. something's a, a, a brewing that's going to, to <laughs> cause John to struggle. I, I don't definitely know what's going to happen but i'm excited to see you know what sarah brings to the the mayhem table here because now that she's unleashed with no rules as caroline warner's you know sort of you know going down in flames you know last volley of unleashing her to ruin the family tell her to ruin the family yeah so i I hope this is not the end of caroline warner i do like the dynamic that she brings i again i said it last episode but i'm gonna say it again i enjoy the fact that they have all of these female characters in these really high-powered and vicious roles Mm -hmm. it's kind of atypical to how we've seen a lot of females being portrayed so especially in this world um very male heavily dominated industry so i hope this is not the end of her because i do like the dynamic i like how beth brings out her crazy 
<laughs> I don't know. I just I I'm excited to see where Jamie you know goes with this with Beth because he's got the upper hand now. He can yeah. He can I'm gonna be interested in that. He scene can let sure. this go, or he could you know tell this lady, oh yeah, you got to press. Charges. I mean, take your moment, Jamie, to at least say some shit to her. Right. She's not going anywhere. She's behind bars. She can't actually stab you or shoot you, <laughs> or throw a baseball <laughs> at your head, or right. or any of the whatever. other things. Knee him in the nuts. I don't know. There's a yeah. whole list of things that she's done to him. Yeah, it'll uh, be interesting so. to see where this all goes. Well. I hope you guys join us again next week for our coverage of episode four. Uh, we will be back. And thank you guys for listening. If you could please like and share, comment, interact, let us know what you think about the episodes. And we would love to hear from you. You can find Pod Clubhouse on Twitter at Pod Clubhouse, Instagram and Facebook at Pod Clubhouse. And we have the Spotify playlist. Um, you search Pod Clubhouse under playlist and you'll find it Yellowstone Tunes, we're called. And we'll be adding to that as the uh, as the, these episodes go on. And you can find that there. As always, we thank you for listening. This is Steph. And this is Sheila. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.